This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, everybody, to an episode of Kicking with Kira here on Full Press Radio. Hope you all had a happy new year. First episode of 2022. Thanks for kicking with me, Ricky Keeler, here on a Saturday. We got a jam-packed show for you today. Of course, we got our first Week 18 in the NFL, I believe, since 1993 was the last time we had a 18th week. A lot of playoffs. Of course, all the playoff spots we decided after Sunday night few games that don't have a lot of meaning, but we'll talk about all of them, of course, at Word Association a little bit later. We'll talk about the College Football National Championship, Monday night, Georgia, Alabama, in Indianapolis. Who do I like to take home the title? And what's the big deal with bowl opt-outs and players not wanting to play? I know Kirk Herbstreit's talked about that a lot this week. Um, Desmond Howard as well. I'll get into that a little bit later. And Novak Djokovic is up in the limbo of whether or not he can play in the Australian Open. How big a deal is that? Uh, we'll get into that at the end of the show. I want to remind you, you can tweet me on Twitter, at Rickinator555. It's at R-I-C-K, letter I, Nigger Lecker Terminator, and three fives. Follow us on Twitter, at FP, and score coverage, at Full Press Radio. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Where it's your podcast, just search Chicken with Keyword. That's where you will find the show. And I want to hear from you. Tell me what you liked, you don't like, what you want to hear in 2022. You can email me, uh, rickjkeeler at gmail.com. Happy to hear from you. Remember... Download the full press coverage app on your iOS or Android device. It is free. All of our articles, podcasts, live shows are there. Uh, so be sure to check that out. If you just want to hear any part of this show that you miss, uh, I would love to hear from you. We're going to lead off with Antonio Brown. I think that's obviously been the big story of the week. Bucks hung on to win on Sunday against the Jets. We're down 24-10. to 10. Rallied back. Tom Brady, Brady's the Jets once again. Touchdown to Cyril Grayson. They go for two. They win 28-24. But the big news is with Antonio Brown, who had just come back off an injury that he's missed the last two months with, um, I believe it was the ankle. And just during the game, I'm, I usually, when, full disclosure, I on Sunday I watch the Patriots game. And then when I'm flipping between commercials, I watch Red Zone. 
because I get a chance to watch as much of each game as I possibly can. So, randomly, they just show, okay, Antonio Brown has his shirt off, and he's walking out of the stadium into the tunnel. He's doing jumping jacks, pumping up the Jets fans, and you're just thinking, same old Antonio Brown, like, this guy is crazy. I know we talk about, and look, mental mental health is huge in this country, and everybody should be an advocate for mental health, but that's, that's first and foremost. But you had EB basically get out, take himself out of the game. Bruce Arians says AB's done. Doesn't explain anything. Doesn't explain why. Comes out a couple days later. Bucks still haven't released him. Then Antonio Brown's lawyer comes out with an explanation. You get Antonio Brown releasing texts with Bruce Arians about his ankle issue, things like that. How he went to multiple, how he's went to doctors trying to get an answer on these things. And then ultimately, as people start to side with Antonio Brown, because Brown was making the case the Bucks tried to force him to play, and he took a dangerous painkiller. And you have the right to believe who you want to believe, but ask yourself this. Why would you believe Antonio Brown at this point? He could have his lawyer craft up the biggest statements possible. Why would you believe him? And even he said it. I know I don't deserve the benefit of the doubt. No, you don't. Because at some point, you're to lose trust. I don't know if he, actually people do trust him at this point. Because I don't think anybody should. So then he goes on the Full Send podcast Friday with Bob Mennery. And every time somebody tries to get close to Antonio Brown or tries to, like, help him, he tends to put his foot in his mouth. Case in point with Tom Brady, who I've argued on this show, there's no victim in this thing. Is I was listening to Joy Taylor on Speak for Yourself this week, and she said what I was thinking. Bruce Arians deserves a lot of blame, and Tom Brady deserves a lot of blame. But we'll do Brady first. Brown said about Brady on that Full Send podcast, not everybody in sports is going to be your friend. Tom Brady's my friend. Why? Because I'm a good football player. He needs me to play football. People have different meanings of what friendship is. So, why is Brown saying that now when Tom Brady was the one to take him in after nobody else wanted him? When Antonio Brown got cut by the Patriots, nobody thought he was going to play football again. Until Tom Brady wanted him to try to help A, win a Super Bowl, and B, try to give him one last chance in his career. But that's what Tom Brady... Tom Brady gets some responsibility because you wanted to bring this guy in. It's like when you know your kid... Like, you you know something's going to happen. Like, when you recommend a friend for a job, and that friend doesn't do what they're supposed to do, that friend shows up late, that friend is lackadaisical at work, who's the responsibility on? It's on the employee that's going to get fired, but it's on you for recommending them. That boss is not going to trust you in any other recommendations you make because of that recommendation. So it's on Tom Brady as well. And it's on Bruce Harris because Bruce Aarons could honestly have been forthright on Sunday with why, with the ankle, things like that. To wait till Thursday to talk about it, 
It just sounds like Arian sometimes bites off a little more than he can chew. So then Brown, on another podcast, tapped in daily. I mean, you can't really expect anyone to be your friend in the business of football. The game is football, but our business is winning. Me and Tom Brady have something in common with winners. We like winning. We like to compete. We like to be the best. All right, so nothing, nothing terrible there. But then you had Brown basically say, well, to Brady, I'll paraphrase it. Why is AB getting a prove-it contract that Rob Gronkowski makes? Well, because Rob Gronkowski has been with Tom Brady for years, and he's been dependable. Rob Gronkowski has won multiple Super Bowls with the Patriots, and now won one last year with Tampa Bay. So when Gronk's on the field, when Gronk's not on the field, it's because of his health, not because he does something crazy. And when he does something crazy, he does, some, does something so crazy that takes him off the field. And then you had Brown, there was a report this week, say, oh, I d- basically didn't like that people were treating him differently. He came back from the fake vaccination card incident. What'd you expect? You expect people just welcome you back with open arms? That doesn't happen that way. You're lucky you're still, you were still on the team because Arians deserves blame because he said one strike and you're done. The fake vaccination card should have been the one strike because it's a federal offense of a fake vaccination card. And what I wish for the NFL would do, and teams, look, look, they want players that can help them win championships. Winning becomes first and foremost in a lot of instances. We understand that. But I wish these teams would go, the risk does not outweigh the reward. You saw what happened in Pittsburgh. He quit at the end of the Steelers. He quit on Vegas. He got cut in New England after one game. And essentially... I know he's had the issues with the ankle. Maybe he couldn't play. But he essentially quit on Tampa. You can't trust this guy. Because every time you try to trust him, you try to be like, you know, I can see where he's coming from. He starts posting text messages on Instagram. He starts posting um, tweets and Facebook messages and things like that. You can't get close to this guy. Even if you wanted to help him, you can't get close to him. Instead, he's busy recording rap singles after he leaves the jet game. I can't get into his head. I don't try to get into his head. It's quite frankly, I don't want to. But, yes, I understand that Brown's been going through a lot of injuries and he's had a rough year in that regard. But that's no excuse to act like that. There's a way to go about it. If you went up to Arians and Arians was saying, uh, get out and then get an Arians face, people might maybe believe you a little bit more as opposed to Mike Evans and O.J. Howard trying to talk you into staying in the game, staying on the sideline. But it's always about him. And it's always been about him. I've said this on a show before when Brown got cut by Oakland. And it was rumored the Patriots were going to sign him. I was like, I don't want him here. And then it was reported the Patriots signed him. And, I, and a lot of Patriots were like, okay, this is good. We got a weapon on offense. And I was like, no. Because he's going to mess it up. Now, he didn't get a chance to mess it up because he was only playing one game with New England. But when you read through a lot of the books where the, the Patriots brought Antonio Brown in to try to please to piece Tom Brady. Tom Brady wanted him. 
Tom Brady gets him. See here at Tampa. Tom Brady wants him. Tom Brady gets him because Tom Brady's not the de facto GM in Tampa Bay, but Brady has a lot more input in Tampa Bay than he did in New England. So if Brown can't I mean, he can flourish on the field, but if he eventually gets in the same end result with Brady, what other quarterback can he actually do that with? Rodgers? I mean, could he do it with the Rams? No, because I listened to Mike Tannenbaum this week, and he was like, well, this day of COVID, you could bring in Antonio Brown on a one-day contract and just do daily contracts, and I actually like that idea. And then more stuff comes out like this, and you're like, why would, again, why would you even think of trusting this guy again? You can't. Now, Tampa Bay, I think, will be fine. I know people panic and say, well, the Bucks don't have enough weapons. Uh, Chris Godwin's out for the season. Now Brown's done. Evans has been banged up, although he played limited last week. Fournette's coming back, but he's been banged up the last couple weeks in the hamstring. It's Tom Brady, it's Rob Gronkowski, and the Bucks' defense is starting to get better. I think they'll be fine. And you think about it this way. Kind of developing an interesting target at the end of games in Cyril Grayson. Brady's been throwing him the ball a lot down the field. And remember, Scotty Miller was that kind of player in the NFC Championship last year against the Packers. Had that touchdown in the first half. Could Grayson be that kind of player this year? Because the NFC is wide open. I know the Packers clinched home field advantage. I know Aaron Rodgers is having an MVP-type season. Probably going to win the MVP. I know they're looking like they're maybe going to go 14-3, and which is really good in a 17-game slate to do that, considering the craziness in the NFL this year. To me, the second best team in the NFC is still Tampa Bay. Because they're defending champs, starting to get people healthy on defense, and it's Tom Brady. I mean, have we learned over and over again to stop not trusting Tom Brady in these situations? So Tampa should be fine. So let's briefly go over the playoff picture, and then we'll take our first break, and we'll, we'll, we will dive into the rest of Week 18, which actually begins tonight. Uh, Chiefs-Broncos at 4.30, and Dallas-Philly at 8 o'clock on ABC and ESPN. So here's the AFC picture. Titans are the one seed right now. 11-5 dominated Miami last week. Uh, they right now have the tie with the Chiefs 11-5. If Tennessee beats Houston, they get the number one seed. It's plain and simple. Chiefs need a win and a Tennessee loss. Uh, Bengals the three seed. Uh, great win for the Bengals, by the way, over the Chiefs. Jamar Chase, 11 catches for over 200 yards insane finish and give credit to the Bengals actually held the ball for the final five plus minutes close to six minutes of that game to win it on the last second field goal so props to Joe Burrow Jamar Chase and the Bengals getting it done winning the AFC North I think it's between Zach Taylor Matt LaFleur and Mike Rabel for coach of the year uh, Taylor's got a case I personally I think I'd give it to Rabel considering Tennessee didn't have Derrick Henry for half the year they're still probably going to maybe win the one seed in the AFC I mean, I think that's a big accomplishment. Buffalo's the four. New England's the five. Basically, the AFC East goes like this. If the Bills beat the Jets, they win the division. If the Patriots beat the Dolphins and the Bills lose to the Jets, the Patriots win the division. Colts are the six because of a last-second loss to Vegas. But Indy should be fine. All they have to do is beat Jacksonville, and they're in the playoffs. Chargers and Raiders are the nine and sevens right now. Chargers have the tiebreaker because of head-to-head, but they play this Sunday. Winner gets in. If Indy somehow loses to Jacksonville, which I don't believe is going to happen, and Pittsburgh, I think it's just if Indy loses to Jacksonville. If the Chargers and Raiders tie, they get in. 
Now, the only way... There's a way, I think, for Vegas that involves Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh needs a win and then some help. I think it need Vegas to win. In that, in, in that instance. So, Pittsburgh has some chance. It's a very small, minute chance. I guess like an 8% chance the Steelers have actually making the playoffs. They play Baltimore this week. So it should be an interesting game, but again, Steelers, not exactly a great chance to make the playoffs. So that's your AFC playoff picture. The NFC playoff picture, basically the Packers are the one seed. That's no surprise. We'll see how much uh, Aaron Rodgers actually plays this week. If the Rams beat the Niners, simply they're the two seed. Tampa right now is the three. Dallas is the four. Looks like it's going to be that way, barring that the Rams lose. Arizona's the five. Arizona needs a win and the Rams to lose to win the West. Niners at 9-7, plain and simple. If they beat the Rams, they're in. If not, they need the Saints to lose to Atlanta. Eagles are in no matter what tonight. Saints, a win and a Niners loss, they're in, which would be crazy considering the Saints have not looked like a playoff team since Jameis Winston got hurt, but their defense has held them through. Sean Payton's done as good a job as anybody. You could actually throw Sean Payton in that coach of the year mix, too, if New Orleans makes the playoffs. Because I don't know how the Saints are close to being a playoff team, but here they are. So actually, let me get to the, the full thing. I'm trying to, I feel like I'm misexplaining the Steelers scenario, so I'm going to pull it up for you real quick. And So basically, for the Steelers to get in... They have to beat the Ravens and need the Colts to lose. And then, if that happens, the Charger-Raider game can't end in a tie. If the Chargers and Raiders don't end in a tie, then Pittsburgh is going to get in the playoffs. I think, and we'll get into my predictions on this in the next segment, I don't think Pittsburgh and Baltimore either one's getting in. I think it's intriguing just because it's Ben's last game. Tyra Huntley, a quarterback for Baltimore. Lamar Jackson, done for the rest of the year. So we'll see what happens there. So let's take our first break. We'll come back. We'll look at my top five games for the final week of the regular season. And we'll play a little Week 18 Word Association for the final time, at least in the regular season. And then next week, we'll do it for the six playoff games that will be played. You're listening to Kick with Kiro here on Full Press Radio. Welcome back here in 2022. And we'll do some Word Association after the break. Week 18 Word Association here on Kicking with Kiro. Never really thought I would say that, but here we are. Um, one more week in the regular season. So let me give you my top five games first for this week. And there's a lot of intriguing games, although some, again, with not a lot of meaning into it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So number five, I'm going to go to Miami. Patriots, the Dolphins. Dolphins are out, but it's still have a chance to put together a winning season, which is impressive considering they started one and seven. So Brian Flores has done, I think, a decent job getting Miami back to respectability. The Dolphins beat the Patriots in week one. Brian Flores seems to have a formula to kind of stop the Patriots. And if you're New England, you've already clinched a playoff spot. You probably can't win the division because, let's be honest, I know the Jets have beaten the Bills. 
But it's a chance to get a win on the road in a place that you don't really play that well in. Another chance for Mac Jones to get some confidence, which he started a game last week. I mean, how do you not get confidence when you blow out the Jaguars 50-10 to 10 as they did? But you start to see Jones a lot more relaxed, a lot more confident compared to the couple weeks since Indian Buffalo when he just looked like there was nothing going right for him. So a much better test for New England going into the postseason to play this kind of game, and they should play it straight, even if Buffalo gets up 28-7 to at the half, because it's an opportunity for Mac Jones to get a road win and finish 11-6. And, and to me, if you look at it from the Patriot perspective, I don't think they have to win a playoff game for it to be a successful season. It's already been successful making the postseason in Mac Jones' rookie year, and if they can finish 11-6, and that alone is a really good record. Really, they, should, they could be the one seed if Damian Harris hadn't fumbled in week one or if New England had won one of these last two games, essentially, against Indian Buffalo. So that, that might, that's my number five game. I think it's a real intriguing matchup. Uh, number four, Pittsburgh at Baltimore. Ben Roethlisberger, probably his final game in his career. Uh, not a great game last week against Cleveland, but the Browns were that terrible, and Baker Mayfield busy ripping Mary Kay Cabot for, for po- supposed clickbait on Twitter. Baker Mayfield's quickly losing any fans in Cleveland anyway, if he had any. But this was always a fun, low-scoring, low um, defensive battle. We saw the Ravens in the first matchup miss a two-point conversion that could have won the game. Ben rallied him back in the fourth quarter. Tyler Huntley, a chance for an audition here for Baltimore, whether it's as somebody's starter next year or um, just to get more looks around the league. I think he's opened a lot of people's eyes. Uh, but this is always a fun battle. Both these teams, again, with an outside shot at the playoffs. They're probably not getting in, uh, but it should be a fun game nevertheless. So that's number four. Number three on my list here. I'm intrigued by the game tonight. Dallas at Philly. Now, normally I would not be as intrigued by this game because, again, what do these teams have to play for? Dallas is probably going to be the four seed. They don't have Micah Parsons tonight. They don't have Tyron Smith, their best tackle tonight. They don't have Trevon Trevon Diggs. They don't have Tony Pollard. Losing a lot of guys on the COVID list. And Philly has clinched a playoff spot already. They can't move up unless the Niners lose. Either the 6th or the 7th seed. So Philly doesn't really have to play this full strength if they don't want to. But what I'm intrigued by is can Dallas win this game without a lot of their key pieces, if they do play it straight. If you see Dak Prescott the whole time, if you see Ezekiel Elliott the whole time, if you see Cooper and Lamb the whole time. Because it would tell me something. Go on the road, get in a win on a short week. Find a way to get it done. If you're Philly, number one rush offense in the league for the last month or month plus. Jalen Hurts is playing well. And there's a chance for the Eagles, who haven't really done well against winning teams. I mean, you look at the Eagles' schedule. Can run through their nine wins real quick. Their nine wins are against Atlanta, Washington, Carolina, Detroit, Denver, New Orleans, the Jets, and the Giants. There's no playoff teams on that slate that they've and well New Orleans maybe. New Orleans could be the one team that gets gets in that they've beaten this year. But even right now the Saints are an eight and eighteen. So I kind of want to see the Eagles, if you're going to pick them to go on a run and be that sleeper team that can surprise people with that defensive line and with their running game, be the team with a winning record. Simple as that. 
And it's a division rivalry. So you never know what could happen in these kind of games. So I put that number three. Number two, L.A., Niners and Rams. Kyle Shanahan's won five straight games against Sean, McVay, against Sean McVay, which is interesting. We'll see who plays the quarterback for the Niners. Is it Jimmy Garoppolo, who's still questionable? Is it Trey Lance? Trey Lance played okay against the Texans last week, but again, it's the Texans. Rams, I think, at this point, you're starting to see them uh, come into form. They got the the uh, win against Baltimore on the road last week with the touchdown in the final minute. That's a good road win. But Matthew Stafford has not been playing his best football in the last two weeks. Three picks at Minnesota. Did not kick, take care of the ball that well against Baltimore. So you kind of need to see Matt Stafford have a complete game here in what is not essentially a playoff game for the Rams, but it'll have that playoff type of feel with what's at stake for the Niners and what's at stake for the Rams. Because if they win, not only will they win the division, they get the two seed, which means you don't have to play on the road until the NFC Championship. And if the Packers were to lose in the divisional round, the Rams would have basically home field because the Super Bowl right now is in California. I know they've had contingency plans about the game being in Dallas, if there's restrictions in, in L.A. and things like that. But for right now, SoFi Stadium could be home for the Rams for a bunch of games, depending on how things break out. So that's how big this game is. And if they're the three... I know they've beaten Tampa the last two times, but would you want to really go to Tampa Bay again in the postseason? I'm, I'm not so sure about that. And number one, of course, winning you're in, Sunday Night Football, Chargers and Raiders. Vegas has been a fun team to watch this season. They win when you're not suppo- expected to win. They kind of lose the games they're supposed to win, but all the adversity they've gone through, not having Darren Waller for a good portion of the last couple of weeks. Henry Ruggs with his DUI. Uh, John Gruden getting uh, let go as head coach. I know they had another corner get arrested this week. A lot going on. Derek Carr and the Raiders have kind of held the ship together. Rich Bisacci has done a good job. I think he really should get a lot of consideration to removing the interim tag and keeping the head coach there, keeping the title. Chargers beat the Raiders earlier this year, but you think about this game, there is a ton of pressure on Los Angeles to win. If, the, if Vegas loses... They don't make the playoffs. You know what? They won nine games. Nobody will expect them to do much this year. It's a step in the right direction. Chargers lose this game in year two of Justin Herbert when they looked like they were going to cruise into the postseason. Then they lost to Houston. I I don't think you give them the benefit of the doubt because it's a Charger team that a lot of people think can make noise if they get in because Herbert's that talented, because Eckler's back, because that defense with Derwin James and Joey Bosa can make plays. But they got to get in first. Now, back in week four, Chargers played Vegas, won 28-14. In that game, Herbert went 25-38, 222, three touchdowns. And Jared Cook actually was a leading scorer, for, leading receiver for the Chargers in that game. Six catches for 70 yards. Uh, Vegas in that game, Derek Carr threw for under 200 yards. Two scores and a pick. Jacobs only ran for 40 yards. And the leading receiver in terms of yards that game was the guy who's not on the team anymore in Henry Ruggs. So can Vegas find a way with Waller back to get enough offense to win? We'll see. Uh, but I think obviously... What I'm also intrigued by is if the tie scenario is in play. Let's say Jacksonville does the unthinkable and beats the Colts. I don't think both teams will take 80 kneel downs and like play it that way, but if it gets to overtime and it gets to the last two minutes and both teams kick a field goal, you got to weigh your pros and cons there if you're the team with the ball in the last two minutes, knowing a tie gets you in. As long as you don't turn the football over, 
you're in the playoffs. So you're going to call aggressive plays to win the game and risk throwing a pick six or fumbling the football? Or are you going to say, you know what? We're in regardless. And if you're the Chargers, you're in. You got the sixth seed, pretty much. Not that seeding really matters at that point, but it's probably an afterthought. But Brandon Staley and Rich Passaccia have said the right things. Look, we've got to play. We're going to play to win, as they should. But if it gets to overtime, you might want to go the other way. Because at that point, people rip the teams for doing that. But look, you've played the game straight for 60 minutes. In the end, these two teams have put themselves in the position to where a tie benefits them. They should do everything they can to make the playoffs. That's the goal, isn't it? I mean, we ripped Philly last year for essentially benching Jalen Hurts and giving Washington an easier chance to make the playoffs. I mean, we'd seen it before. Did people rip the Colts when, well, people did rip the Colts, but they didn't get, they didn't get that back. Remember, they were almost undefeated and the Colts decided, hey, we're not going to play Peyton Manning. I don't think it's, this situation would be as bad as those two situations. Because they're not affecting other teams. They're just affecting themselves. Because once Indy loses, that's out of their control. Because nobody's going to feel sympathy for the Colts because, look, you should have beat Jacksonville. So let's do a little Week 18 Word Association. Again, if you've not been with the show this year, well, where you've been, but welcome. Uh, basically, we throw out a word or phrase for each game in the NFL schedule. And we start with tonight, starting in the 4.30 game on ABC, Chris Fowler, Kirk Herbstreit, Lord Rutledge on the call. Chiefs and Broncos. Chiefs need a win and a Titans loss to clinch the one seed. And my word for this is Kansas City controls. I think the Chiefs win this game big over Denver. Vic Fangio's on the hot seat right now at the Broncos, and for good reason. Right now, they just the quarterback play has not been good this year. The defense has been okay, but when you can't get Court and Sutland and Jerry Judy involved, I know Judy was, on, was out last week. Tim Patrick's been out, but Denver really just has no flow offensively outside of the running backs. I don't. Denver no kept this somewhat close the first matchup until it got away from them in the second half. I don't think that'll happen again this time. Chiefs have too much to play for. I think they're going to control this game and roll easily. And then in Philly tonight, eight fifteen, Dallas to the Eagles. My word for this is confused because I just mentioned what I said earlier. Dallas doesn't have anything to play for, and they've got a lot of guys out with injuries or COVID. Philly, nothing to play for. They clinch the playoff spot. How do both these teams play this game? I'm not exactly so sure. Dallas is favored by four. I had to pick this game, which, by the way, sports gambling now legal in New York today, which is interesting. I don't know how many I'll put down, but uh, I thought I'd pick like, It's tough to trust this game, but for entertainment purposes, for only, because in case you're in a state that doesn't have that, I thought about Philly. I think Philly has more to prove than Dallas does. I don't think if Dallas lost tonight, people are like, yeah, I think because you already got after the Dallas loss to Arizona, do you really trust them anymore anyway? If they beat Philly, does it change your mind? No. So there's more to prove for Philly tonight than there is for Dallas. To Cleveland, the Bengals at the Browns. And we're actually... Going to make this game the flip the channel game of the week. Reason we're going to do that, Joe Burrow is out with rest. Joe Mixon got COVID. He's out. 
Browns, Baker Mayfield not going to play. So essentially, if you want to watch Brandon Allen play Case Keenum, all power to you. I mean, there are worse matchups on this slate, but to me, Bengals are either going to be the three or the four seed. Browns, their season's over anyway. There's there's much more meaningful games. Normally, we'd save this for a matchup that isn't ten and six versus seven and nine, but to me, you're not wasting your time with this one. To Detroit, Packers at the Lions. My word for this is one half. Because that's all I, all I expect Aaron Rodgers to play in this game. I know he wants to start this game and he's going to start this game, but there's really no reason that Aaron Rodgers should be playing in this game. Um, Matt LaFleur, though, I understand he wants to give the Packers more, like keep the momentum going and, and want them to get the 14-3. Their starters want to play. But if they could get up big on Detroit, I know Jared Goff will be back for the Lions, but... I don't think Detroit's going to win this football game. So if the Packers are ahead for a half, I don't. Th- I think if he, as long as he plays two quarters, maybe a series into the third, then you play Jordan Love. Treat this as like the old third preseason game in a sense. I think that's the best way to play it and kind of please everybody involved. To Minnesota, the Bears at the Vikings. My word for this is hot seat. Matt Nagy's probably gone in Chicago after this game. Give the Bears credit for at least fighting over these last couple of weeks. Andy Dalton's going to get the start for the Bears on Sunday with Justin Fields in the COVID list. At Minnesota, I think Mike Zimmer's gone. I know Kirk Cousins was out last week due to COVID, but the Vikings did not play well against the Packers. This is a Viking team with too much talent to finish at best 8-9. and nine. Their defense has been a train wreck. And what's Mike Zimmer been known for? Defense. So to struggle on that side of the ball as much as the Vikings have, I think he's gone. So... Maybe if Zimmer wins, he has an outside shot to keep his job, but I think both these coaches will be looking for a new ways of employment after Sunday. Washington at the Giants. My words, train wreck. Maybe this should have been flipped the channel, but we're going to keep it Bengals-Browns. It's a train wreck because Washington kind of just playing out the string, essentially. They, they competed hard against Philly last week, but came up short. Against, but... It's train wreck because the Washington defensive line is going to wreck Jake from State Farm and the New York Giants. Who, you listen to Joe Judge last week, 11 minutes trying to plead to the owner, John Mara, to keep his job. And, and look, Joe Judge came from New England. I thought he was a good hire at the time. He's been a bust. The Giants are likely going to have a new GM starting Monday. That new GM should pick whoever he wants to be head coach. And Joe Judge has done next to nothing to prove he should be back. In fact, every time you see him talk, he makes excuses. I get it. The Giants have dealt with injuries. I get it. They've dealt with COVID. Everybody's dealt with injuries in COVID this year. But the fact the Giants, with Daniel Jones out, have not had an actual plan at a backup quarterback. Mike Glennon's terrible. Jake Fromm is terrible. So the Giants have not only, they've taken steps backwards. I mean, they scored three points at Chicago last week. Against a team, like we said, with the Bears, is playing out the string and probably not going to have their head coach. I mean, that's how bad it's been in in New York. It's embarrassing. John Harris being embarrassed. That stadium is going to be half full for Washington Giants this week. Half full. Maybe three quarters full. And the Giants can't keep having this. Especially with so many questions about their future. They never know if Saquon Barkley is the running back of the future. Because he hasn't played like it the last couple of years. All he's come back from injury and he's bowed injuries himself, but... Has been the guy you drafted number two and supposed to be a Hall of Fame uh, jacket kind of player. So far, not so much. 
Indianapolis at Jacksonville. Colts win their end. This is tailor-made. This is a Jonathan Taylor special. He's probably not going to get to 2,000 yards. He needs 266 yards. But after Indy lost to Vegas last week, I think they're going to be in good position. Jacksonville, they got fans going to be dressing up as clowns because they, the organization's a clown show. And even if you thought the Jaguars could be spoilers, you watched last week. James Robinson's not there. Trevor Lawrence has nothing to work with. They had three-fifths of their offensive line out last week. It, it's absolutely dreadful there. So if you're relying on Jacksonville for spoilers, I got a house probably. I got a timeshare somewhere I can sell you. It's really ugly. So Indy should win this game. Pittsburgh at Baltimore. My word for this is smash mouth football. We talked about it earlier. Low scoring defense. That's what's famous with this rivalry. I think it'd be cool to see Ravens fans kind of give Roethlisberger a semi standing ovation, but uh, should be a fun last matchup for Ben in the AFC North. Tennessee at Houston. My word for this is revenge. Titans, remember, lost to the Texans in the first matchup this year where Houston won by nine despite Tennessee turning over four times. I don't think that happens again. I don't think we see Derrick Henry this time, although Henry is activated off IR. He has 21 days to get back. I don't think uh, Rabel will risk it in this game because Tennessee should be Houston without him. What's important is Henry is well-rested. If Tennessee gets the bye, ready to go, and he should be at that point, so... I Tennessee should easily cruise here against the Texans. Although Davis Mills has played well, uh, I think Tennessee will be fine. Saints at the Falcons. And my word for this is ride the Camara. Calvin Camara's got to have a big game here. This is actually a, a revenge game for the Saints. Remember, the Falcons beat them earlier this year, 27-25. Matt Ryan threw for 343 and two touchdowns. I don't think the Saints can win this game with offense unless it's Kamara, because I still don't trust Taysom Hill as far as I can throw him. It's the Saints team that struggled against Carolina last week. They finally scored a touchdown for the first time like 160 minutes, which is insane. Falcons have done a decent job. I thought they had a good effort against Buffalo last week, which I'm still confused how Matt Ryan can get a taunting penalty when it was really didn't get in the end zone, because you're not going to taunt if it's not a touchdown, but it is what it is. But if the Saints win, the Niners lose. Saints win the playoffs, which is insane that the Saints at 9-8 and eight with using Taysom Hill and Trevor Simeon and no Michael Thomas and Kamara's been out for a decent part of the season and uh, using so many players in the offensive line, COVID, Sean Payton getting COVID. To, to find a way to get in would be a really special year for them. Jets at the Bills. Zach Wilson actually starting against the Bills. Remember the first matchup he did not. It was Mike White. And my word for this is a division title. I think the Bills are going to win the AFC East. As much as I think the Jets, the spread is 16, I do think the Jets can cover because we haven't seen Buffalo really blow anybody out. I mean, even the Atlanta game last week, Josh Allen threw three picks in the first half. You wonder if the Bills feel a little bit of pressure to win the division, especially at home. But... The Jets, I don't think, have enough weapons on offense to get it done. Braxton Berrios is out. He's been one of their better players over the last few weeks. So Jamison Crowder and Michael Carter will be really relied upon in this game. I think the Jets will put up a good effort. You've seen that over the last three weeks that Zach Wilson's made progression in the right direction. But to me, there's too much at stake for Buffalo. Uh, I think they'll win as much as I'm wishful thinking the Jets pull this off. Remember, if you're a Patriot fan, the Jets don't never really help you when you need a win for something from them to win or a loss from them. They never help you out. Uh, so don't expect that here. 
to LA, Niners at the Rams. And my word for this is ground attack. To me, it goes for both these teams because you have Elijah Mitchell for the Niners. I think he's going to be a big part of this game, especially when you're not sure who's going to be the quarterback for San Francisco. And for the Rams, it's, again, getting Sony Michelle involved, and he's done a good job in this offense. I mean, last week against the Ravens, he was big. 19 carries, 74 yards, and a touchdown. And you look at Michelle, who's up to 800 yards in the season. He has had a rushing touchdown in three of the last five weeks, and he's had at least 18 carries in all of those games. So the Rams have clearly put more of an emphasis on the ground game to try to help Matthew Stafford. I think that's the case here. As for who I like to win, tune to FBC NFL Sunday tomorrow morning with uh, myself, Braden Halchuk, Ian Glendon, and Kyle Senro usually joins us. I'm going to pick that game then. I don't know who I'm liking right now. i got to kind of wait to see who the quarterback is to kind of figure that out. Patriots at the Dolphins. And my words for this are confidence in Mac. This is about a confidence game for Mac Jones. Keep that confidence going in the right direction because the Patriots have all the ingredients. Uh, Damian Harris has been one of the better under-the-radar running backs in the league this year. But Mac Jones needs to continue to get that confidence throwing the ball down the field, getting some screen passes, intermediate passes. Jacoby Myers had a big game last week. Good performance from Christian Wilkerson in his first game with two touchdowns. What I'm a little bit concerned with New England is their defense. Uh, Kyle Duggar, the safety's out this week, and if he misses the playoff game, they need him. With Duggar and Adrian Phillips have been a good safety combo along with Devin McCourty. There's still a lot of weaknesses on this Patriots team, or a lot of flaws, I should say. Uh, but to me, it's all about the confidence in Mac Jones. And it's a battle of Alabama quarterbacks, Mac Jones and Tua. Tua won the first matchup. See if Mac can kind of even the score here. Seattle at Arizona. My words for this are trending upwards. I, I, people were doubting the Cardinals last week. I was too, especially they lost three straight. And it, the Cardinals found a way. Kyler Murray, 263, two touchdowns. They had that crazy fake punt play that they were to pull off. But sort of see Kyler Murray figure it out a little bit. And Arizona ends going 8-1 and one on the road. This is the kind of game where if you can dominate Seattle in what is probably Russell Wilson's last game with the Seahawks, you've won two straight to end the season, maybe you get some help and you win the division. But... I think all doom and gloom in Arizona isn't there yet. Of course, Kingsbury is going to be a tough guy to trust next week in the playoffs. But for right now, getting a win at Dallas, big for the Cardinals' confidence. To Tampa Bay, Panthers at the Bucks. There's a report that Matt Rule is likely coming back as Panthers coach next year, which I guess I don't disagree with because but Matt Rule doesn't know how to handle quarterbacks and he keeps alternating guys. But my word for this is business as usual. Uh, Tampa should win this game. Tom Brady will be fine. I think, again, it's another one of those auditions, another one of those dress rehearsals. Tampa played well in that last dress rehearsal against Carolina when they steamrolled them at a final score of 32-6. to I think you'll get that kind of game here. Just because what is Carolina able to do on offense at all? And by the way, best wishes to Jim Nance, who's in COVID protocol this week. Tom McCarthy calling that game on CBS uh, with Tony Romo. And finally, Sunday Night Football. Chargers at Raiders. Winning you're in. My word for this is consistent. What I mean by this is both these teams are tough to trust when you pick them. So you, when you pick either one, it's like kind of flipping a coin. Which one actually shows up? Do the Chargers that normally win games that they're supposed to win show up? Does Vegas who wins games they're not supposed to win, do they show up? It's kind of a contrast in expectation levels. 
I'm going to pick the Chargers. I'm going to root like heck for Vegas. Uh, the Madden family is going to light the torch before the game, which will be an emotional moment, I'm sure. Right now, though, I trust Herbert a little bit more than I trust Carr. And I think the Chargers have too many pieces on offense. I think they'll be able to squeak out a win. But um, don't be surprised. if they, I would not be shocked if Vegas wins this game. I just trust the Chargers a little bit more than I do Las Vegas. So coming up next, we talk college football. We talk the bowl games and the opt-outs and what's really make of everything. And we'll preview the national championship. It's an all-SEC affair, Alabama-Georgia Part 2. Uh, tomorrow night, Monday night in Indianapolis. We'll talk college football here on the other side of the break. I'm kicking it with Keel. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We move from the NFL to college football here on Kicking with Keeler and, and Ricky Keeler here with you, of course. And we'll start with, of course, our look back at the semifinals, and then we'll preview the national championship, and then we'll talk about all these bowl games and what it really means. No real surprises in the semifinals. Uh, Alabama rolls over Cincinnati. To me, that was not a surprise. Uh, Robinson had a big game for the Tide, 26 carries, 204 yards. Cincinnati was just never in the game. I know that Cincinnati has kept it close for about – about almost two quarters, but when Bryce Young throws the 44-yard touchdown to Corey Brooks, essentially takes Cincinnati out of the game. Um, the Bearcats were just two for 12 on third down. Desmond Ritter only threw for 144 yards. Just was not the game Cincinnati was expecting. Or they needed to use Jerome Ford, run the football, control the clock. Ritter needed to convert on third down. And if you conclude fourth down, since he was a combined two for 15, you can't really win in that kind of situation. I don't think it means anything less from Cincinnati by any means. Uh, I think any Power 5 team could have put up that similar result, so don't take Cincinnati's 21-point loss and say the group of five can't do anything. It's still a heck of a year for Luke Fickle's squad, and they deserve a lot of credit. And on Alabama's side, it was about getting guys involved, and it's not Jamison Williams, who actually did not have a touchdown. You had Brooks with the 40-yard score. Um, we'll see if Slade Bolden, the junior, can get more involved. Three catches, 31 yards, and a score. But Robinson's going to be key against Georgia, and we're going to get on it a little bit later. Because if he can run the ball 20, 25 times, and maybe not put up 204 yards, but let's say put up over 120, it takes some pressure off of Bryce Young and kind of helps Alabama's offensive line. Because when you have a guy run the ball that well, the defensive line has to prep for both options. But all in all, not a great game from Bryce Young, but he did throw for three touchdowns. You have to give him credit there. And then what wasn't a it was a surprise it was a blowout but not the result. Uh, Georgia beating Michigan thirty four to eleven. Great game from Stetson Bennett, twenty of thirty for three thirteen and three touchdowns. And it was a big game for him because 
You heard all the last three weeks about Georgia should go to JT Daniels. Bennett can't get it done. And that's not all true. Because I think Bennett's been kind of that leader for Georgia quarterback this year. He's not going to be a guy that can put up the flashy numbers, but he's the definition of consistency in a sense. And Georgia just took it to them early. Two touchdowns in the first quarter, taking a 17-0 lead, and then Michigan just could not get anything done in the passing game. Uh, Kate McNamara throws for two picks, 106 yards. Their run game can't get anything going. Hassan Haskins, who had a fantastic season, 39 yards on nine carries. But Michigan, when you get down 17-0, you can't really play to that game script you want to play to, which is run the football and play defense. When your defense isn't getting anything done, you got to go away from what you're normally doing. And then right as Michigan was trying to get a stop going to the third quarter, Bennett throws the 57-yard touchdown to Jermaine Burton, and that's all she wrote for Michigan. We'll see if Jim Harbaugh decides to go to the NFL. There's the big rumor that he might. Again, it's tough to tell with Harbaugh, but uh, for Georgia to get that done, to get it done via the passing game with Bennett and their defense, a great sign for Monday. So here we go. Monday night, 8 o'clock ESPN, National Championship. Georgia trying to win its first title in 42 years. Alabama trying to go back-to-back. A rematch of the SEC Championship in which Alabama uh, beat Georgia by a final score of 41-24. And you go back to that game, obviously what stands out from that one, John Mechie got hurt for Alabama. That's a big part of their receiving game. So we talked about earlier, Brooks has to have a big game. Um, Slade Bolden has to have a good game. So they're going to have to get contributions from other players on the field including B. John Robinson in the, in, in, the ground, in the ground game. Oh, Brian Robinson, excuse me. B. John's the Texas guy. Brian Robinson, 16 carries, 55 yards in the SEC title game. They're going to need a lot more from him here. Georgia's favored by two and a half. You got to watch out for their tight end, Brock Bowers. He's done a really good job this year. I still like Alabama in this game. And the reason I do is because it's all about who you trust in these situations. And until until Kirby Smart can actually beat Nick Saban, and I know the whole assistance not being able to beat Saban was kind of proven wrong this year when Jimbo beat him. I think it also comes down to the coach who you trust more and the quarterback. And you look at Bennett against Alabama, he did have two picks, albeit by that point Georgia was trying to throw to stay in the game and, and Georgia can't play out of that direction. Who do you trust more, the Heisman Trophy winner Bryce Young or Stetson Bennett? To me, the answer is Bryce Young. Do I trust Alabama more in these big games or I trust Georgia? And then again, that's not fair either because you got to give Georgia credit for steamrolling Michigan in the playoff game that they did. These are clearly the two best teams in college football. I think Georgia's defense is going to provide a much tougher task. But remember, Georgia got up 10-0 in the SEC Championship game about early second quarter, and Alabama just found a way to dominate after that. So if Alabama finds a secondary weapon, or whether Ja'Cory Brooks has the breakout game people expect, I also like Alabama's defense to kind of keep Georgia in check in the ground game. Because you look at Georgia's rushing attack, they didn't really do much in the in the semifinal game, and then in the SEC championship game, the best running back in James Cook the senior, 11 carries, 38 yards. Uh, Zamir White, 7 carries for 27 yards. They did not get much done on the ground. I think 
Were you looking for who needs to excel in the rush game more than this this matchup this time? It's it's Georgia. Because if Georgia becomes one-dimensional, Alabama's going to have a defense that can tee off. Will Anderson, of course, had a fantastic year at linebacker. Alabama's secondary, I think, is somewhat of a question mark as opposed to their front seven. But Alabama wants, Nick Saban wants Stetson Bennett to throw. And usually when you look at national championships that Alabama loses, it's usually the dynamic quarterbacks. Trevor Lawrence, Sean Watson. If you go to regular season matchups, Joe Burrow. Is Stetson Bennett those guys? No. To me, he needs to play a clean game. If Georgia even has one or two turnovers in this game, they will lose. Now, can their defense take... If Georgia's defense can take it away and get Stetson Bennett short fields, now that benefits. But if Georgia turns it over and you give Bryce Young more short fields, that's a big battle, big big issue for Georgia. So turnover battle is going to be huge in this one. But it's for me, it's just easier to trust Nick Saban. I'm going to go with the Tide to win uh, and take home another national championship. As for the bowl picture itself, we want to talk about the bowl opt-outs. Um... And I think to me, when you look at the whole situation, and, and I think, to be fair, I think to Kirk Herbstreit and Desmond Howard, what you want to do is go back to listen to their full comments on College Game Day, look at the scenario. Because I wrote up an article on Barrett Sports Media that Desmond Howard was talking to Alan Hahn and Harry Douglas this week on KJM. And he was saying, look, I had a lot more to say about the situation, but we only have so much time. And the producers were trying to tell us to wrap it up, wrap it up. So you're taking con- comments in context, which is always dangerous. They are player advocates, and I think Herbstreit and Howard both understand the game of football is changing. And players should have every right, if they want to decide, hey, there's more risk to me to play in this bowl game than there is reward, that I need to sit out. We saw Kenny Pickett sit out of the Peach Bowl for Pitt against Michigan State. We saw Kenneth Walker, the Michigan State running back, also sit out. We saw Ohio State, no Chris Olave, no Garrett Wilson. It allowed Jackson Smith and Jigba to have a career game at wide receiver where he had a, a Ohio State record, a bowl record, a Rose Bowl record for yards. But you had an Ohio State team that people thought didn't really seem interested in the game because so many players opted out, and that's not necessarily true. You had Notre Dame, Kyron Williams didn't play at running back. And then you had the opposite of the scenario where Ole Miss was playing Baylor in the Sugar Bowl, and Matt Corral said, for, because I wanted to play my last game with my teammates who are my brothers, I want to ride this out one more game. And he gets hurt. And people rip the system and said, well, that's why these kids shouldn't play. But it's a Sugar Bowl. I mean, think about how big a game that is for Ole Miss and Baylor. Baylor did a great job defensively in that Sugar Bowl with sacks galore on the old, on the uh, Ole Miss backup quarterback. That's a huge game for Ole Miss. It's probably, in most cases, not going to compete for a national championship. So so getting to the Sugar Bowl is kind of the equivalent for Ole Miss's championship, so to speak. So how do you blame Corral for wanting to play in that game? You can't. Now, he, luckily, it's not a serious injury, but to me, it's a case-by-case basis. If you're a team that gets to the Sun Bowl and you don't want to play, okay, I get that. But we talk about protecting the bowls. 
people are still going to watch the Rose Bowl because of what it is. The big bowls are fine. Like the Rose Bowl is going to be fine. The Sugar Bowl is going to be fine. The Cotton Bowl is going to be fine. Like those big bowls can survive player opt-outs because of what they are. I mean, obviously, if ESPN had Matt Corral out of the Baylor Ole Miss game, they're not going to get as big a rating as they probably did New Year's Eve, New Year's Day night, for example. But the players should have more power because the coaches can up and go whenever they want. Players have the transfer portal. They have NIL. Like they're, It's great that they have that power in their hands, but now we rip players for not playing. And to me, again, it's a case-by-case basis. Not one side is completely right. Not one side is completely wrong. It's all about that particular player analyzing, okay, what's my risk-reward? If I'm a quarterback like Kenny Pickett, right? I know I'm a first-round pick. I don't want to risk injury. I'm not going to play in the game. Perfectly fine. It ruins the matchup because then people want to see Kenny Pickett against a, a not-so-good Michigan State secondary. But look, we can't be selfish in that instance. And it is kind of selfish to say, yeah, play this game, entertain me. And I know bowl games are about entertainment. But in the end, the, in the end these players have dollars on the line. And until they're getting paid to play, you can't blame them for... Uh, sitting out and keeping their money protected. Because you're one hit away in football all the time of getting hurt. Sure, you're one hit away in the regular season from ending your chances of big money, but the bowls are extra games, right? You have the case with the Gator Bowl where Rutgers gets in at 5-7 and seven because of COVID from A&M and their academic progress report, which is a good reward. And I'm not saying we take away all these bowl games. I think they're cool. Do we have too many bowls? Yeah, we probably do. But people enjoy watching them, so we keep the, the process the way it is. But to me, it's all about making sure the players have a say. Do Are there some players who maybe value the NFL more and treat college football like a minor league system where they're just doing it to get to the NFL? Sure. But there are players out there that still are, are diehards for their school and still want to win as much as they can and get that bowl title and, and do everything they can for their school. Can it hurt the bowls? Sure. I think the big bowls, though, will be fine in the end. It's really the, the uh, smaller bowls that could get affected. If players, like you, you pick a team because you want that star player in that bowl game, then they don't play. It's kind of the risk, though, you take when you pick these bowl teams, in a sense. Now, that if, now if you opt out of the playoff, that's different. But the NFL is not going to look at you bad because you opted out of the Sugar Bowl or opted out of the Rose Bowl. They're not going to look at you differently. We've clearly seen that over the test of time. That hasn't been a big issue. As for my New Year's Six takeaways, a couple, never trust Notre Dame in a big game ever again. I love Marcus Williams. I think he's going to do a great job at Notre Dame. The problem, though, you had Notre Dame get up 28-7 to against Michigan State in the Fiesta Bowl and allowed an Oklahoma State offense that isn't the greatest offense in the world to rally back and win 37-35. You allowed Spencer Sanders to throw for four touchdowns, no interceptions, rush for over 120 yards. That was disappointing for Notre Dame. And next year they start their year at Ohio State against Jackson Smith and Jigba and C.J. Stroud in that Buckeyes offense. I can't trust Notre Dame. So every time Notre Dame is get, it gets in these New Year's Six Bowls or gets in the playoff or gets in a big game against a, a school that people think they should beat and they don't win, 
kind of still fighting that uphill battle if you're the fighting Irish. Not that Marcus Freeman can't do a good job at Notre Dame, but that's a tough loss for him, and I think it's tougher than people think. Rose Bowl, Ohio State's got wide receivers like crazy. Marvin Harrison Jr., three touchdowns. You had um, Fleming had a decent game, five catches for 35 yards. Agbuka did a good job in the receiving game, three catches, 46 yards, and was good on return team. And Stroud was insane. 573 yards, six touchdowns, one interception. Now, Jackson Smith and Jigba did have 347 of those yards. And this is why right now, I would have Jackson Smith and Jigba as a top Heisman candidate because for next year, people say a receiver can't win the award, but throw this out there. C.J. Stroud, like I said, those are 570, but if 350 are from one guy, who gets more credit, the quarterback or the wide receiver that's catching all those balls? Stroud's a great quarterback, but if Njigba has those kind of numbers next year, he's going to win the Heisman Trophy. I don't think he'll win it, but he definitely should be up there going into next year. The kid can catch anything that's thrown to him. But Ohio State's offense is going to be insane next year, uh, even without Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. As for Utah, I was impressed. Um, they had a good first half, ran the ball well, dominated the Ohio State defensive line in the first half. But then Cam Rising gets hurt about nine minutes to go, and Utah's playing a quarterback in Bryson Barnes, who hadn't played a snap all season long. And he did throw a touchdown to tie in the fourth quarter. But what I'd rip Kyle Whittingham for is you had three timeouts defensively, didn't use any of them in the last two minutes. So it seemed like he was content at that point. Look, we got a backup quarterback. I'm not saying Utah tried didn't really give their foot up to win the game because they did, but why would Whittingham leave all three timeouts in their back in his back pocket? I'm still not sure about that. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And then we talk about the Sugar Bowl. Baylor's defense. The big story. 21-7 over Ole Miss. Uh, sacking... Luke Altmeyer, there was like eight, nine times. Ugly performance. But again, without Corral, Baylor's uh, Ole Miss offense was limited. And Baylor did a good job on the ground with Abram Smith. 25 carries, 172 yards. Big moment for him. They talked about in the broadcast how he went from linebacker, from running back to linebacker, back to running back. Uh, good story. So props to Baylor. Dave Aranda, a great season, pulling off 12 wins. So we'll wrap the show coming up next, and we'll do a little tennis. The big news this week involving Novak Djokovic um, down in Australia. You listen to Kick with Kira on Full Press Radio. We'll wrap up episode 125 after the break. We move from the NFL to college football here on Kicking with Keeler and, and Ricky Keeler here with you, of course. And we'll start with, of course, our look back at the semifinals, and then we'll preview the national championship, and then we'll talk about all these bowl games and what it really means. No real surprises in the semifinals. Uh, Alabama rolls over Cincinnati. To me, that was not a surprise. Uh, Robinson had a big game for the Tide, 26 carries, 204 yards. Cincinnati was just never in the game. I know that Cincinnati at least kept it close for about about almost two quarters, but when Bryce Young throws the 44-yard touchdown to Corey Brooks, essentially takes Cincinnati out of the game. Um, the Bearcats were just 2-for-12 on third down. 
Desmond Ritter only threw for 144 yards. Just was not the game Cincinnati was expecting. They needed to use Jerome Ford, run the football, control the clock. Ritter needed to convert on third down. And if you conclude fourth down, since he was a combined two for 15, you can't really win in that kind of situation. I don't think it means anything less from Cincinnati by any means. Uh, I think any Power 5 team could have put up that similar result. So don't take Cincinnati's 21-point loss and say the group of five can't do anything. It's still a heck of a year for Luke Fickle's squad. They deserve a lot of credit. And on Alabama's side, it was about getting guys involved, but it's not Jamison Williams, who actually did not have a touchdown. You had Brooks with the 40-yard score. Um, we'll see if Slade Bolden, the junior, can get more involved. Three catches, 31 yards, and a score. But Robinson's going to be key against Georgia, and we're going to get on it a little bit later, because if he can run the ball 20, 25 times, and maybe not put up 204 yards, but let's say put up over 120, it takes some pressure off of Bryce Young and kind of helps Alabama's offensive line. Because when you have a guy run the ball that well, the defensive line has to prep for both options. But all in all, not a great game from Bryce Young, but he did throw for three touchdowns. You have to give him credit there. And then what wasn't a it was a surprise. It was a blowout, but not the result. Uh, Georgia beating Michigan 34 to 11. Great game from Stetson Bennett. 20 of 30 for 313 and three touchdowns. And it was a big game for him because you heard all the last three weeks about Georgia should go to JT Daniels. Bennett can't get it done. And that's not all true. I think Bennett's been kind of that leader for Georgia quarterback this year. He's not going to be a guy that can put up the flashy numbers, but he's the definition of consistency in a sense. And Georgia just took it to them early. Two touchdowns in the first quarter, taking a 17-0 lead, and then Michigan just could not get anything done in the passing game. Uh, Kate McNamara throws for two picks, 106 yards. Their run game can't get anything going. Hassan Haskins, who had a fantastic season, 39 yards on nine carries, but Michigan, when you get down 17 nothing, you can't really play to that game script you want to play to, which is run the football and play defense. When your defense isn't getting anything done, you got to go away from what you're normally doing. And then right as Michigan was trying to get a stop going to the third quarter, Bennett throws the 57-yard touchdown to Jermaine Burton, and that's all she wrote for Michigan. We'll see if Jim Harbaugh decides to go to the NFL. There's the big rumor that he might. Again, it's tough to tell with Harbaugh, but uh, for Georgia to get that done, to get it done via the passing game with Bennett and their defense, a great sign for Monday. So here we go. Monday night, 8 o'clock ESPN, National Championship. Georgia trying to win its first title in 42 years. Alabama trying to go back-to-back. A rematch of the SEC Championship in which Alabama uh, beat Georgia by a final score of... 41-24, and you go back to that game, obviously what stands out from that one, John Mechie got hurt for Alabama. That's a big part of their receiving game. So we talked about earlier, Brooks has to have a big game. Um, Slade Bolden has to have a good game. So they're going to be a contribution from other players on the field, including B. John Robinson in the, in, in, the ground, in the ground game. Or Brian Robinson, excuse me. B. John's the Texas guy. Brian Robinson, 16 carries, 55 yards in the SEC title game. They're going to need a lot more from him here. Georgia's favored by two and a half. You got to watch out for their tight end, Brock Bowers. He's done a really good job this year. I still like Alabama in this game. And the reason I do is because it's all about who you trust in these situations. And until until Kirby Smart can actually beat Nick Saban, and I know the whole 
assistants not being able to beat Saban was kind of proven wrong this year when Jimbo beat him. I think it also comes down to the coach who you trust more and the quarterback. And you look at Bennett against Alabama, he did have two picks, albeit by that point Georgia was trying to throw to stay in the game and, and Georgia can't play to that direction. Who do you trust more, the Heisman Trophy winner Bryce Young or Stetson Bennett? To me, the answer is Bryce Young. Do I trust Alabama more in these such big games, or I trust Georgia? And then again, that's not fair either, because you, you got to give Georgia credit for steamrolling Michigan in the playoff game that they did. These are clearly the two best teams in college football. I think Georgia's defense is going to provide a much tougher task. But remember, Georgia got up 10-0 in the SEC Championship game about early second quarter, and Alabama just found a way to dominate after that. So if Alabama finds a secondary weapon, or whether Ja'Cory Brooks has the breakout game people expect, I also like Alabama's defense to kind of keep Georgia in check in the ground game. Because you look at Georgia's rushing attack, they didn't really do much in the in the semifinal game. And then in the SEC championship game, the best running back in James Cook, the senior, 11 carries, 38 yards. Uh, Zamir White, 7 carries for 27 yards. They did not get much done on the ground. I think when you're looking for who needs to excel in the rush game more than this this matchup this time, it's it's Georgia. Because if Georgia becomes one-dimensional, Alabama's going to have a defense that can tee off. Will Anderson, of course, had a fantastic year at linebacker. Alabama's secondary, I think, is somewhat of a question mark as opposed to their front seven. But Alabama wants, Nick Saban wants Stetson Bennett to throw. And usually when you look at national championships that Alabama loses... It's usually the dynamic quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence, Sean Watson. If you go to regular season matchups, Joe Burrow. Is Stetson Bennett those guys? No. To me, he needs to play a clean game. If Georgia even has one or two turnovers in this game, they will lose. Now, can their defense take... If Georgia's defense can take it away and get Stetson Bennett short fields, now that benefits. But if Georgia turns it over... And you give Bryce Young more short fields. That's a big battle. Big big issue for Georgia. So turnover battle is going to be huge in this one. But it's for me, it's just easier to trust Nick Saban. I'm going to go with the Tide to win uh, and take home another national championship. As for the bowl picture itself, we want to talk about the bowl opt-outs. Um, and I think to me, when you look at the whole situation, and, and I think, to be fair, I think to Kirk Herbstreit and Desmond Howard. What you want to do is go back to listen to their full comments on college game day, look at the scenario. Because I wrote up an article on Barrett Sports Media that Desmond Howard was talking to Alan Hahn and Harry Douglas this week on KJM. And he was saying, look, I had a lot more to say about the situation, but we only have so much time. And the producers were trying to tell us to wrap it up, wrap it up. So you're taking con- comments in context, which is always dangerous. They are player advocates, and I think Herbstreit and Howard both understand the game of football is changing. And players should have every right, if they want to decide, hey, there's more risk to me to play in this bowl game than there is reward, that I need to sit out. We saw Kenny Pickett sit out of the Peach Bowl for Pitt against Michigan State. We saw Kenneth Walker, the Michigan State running back, also sit out. We saw Ohio State, no Chris Olave, no Garrett Wilson. 
It allowed Jackson Smith and Jigba to have a career game at wide receiver where he had a, a Ohio State record, a bowl record, a Rose Bowl record for yards. But you had an Ohio State team that people thought didn't really seem interested in the game because so many players opted out, and that's not necessarily true. You had Notre Dame. Kyron Williams didn't play at running back. And then you had the opposite of the scenario where Ole Miss was playing Baylor in the Sugar Bowl, and Matt Corral said, for, because I wanted to play my last game with my teammates who are my brothers, I want to ride this out one more game. And he gets hurt. And people ripped the system and said, well, that's why these kids shouldn't play. But it's a Sugar Bowl. I mean, think about how big a game that is for Ole Miss and Baylor. Baylor did a great job defensively in that Sugar Bowl with sacks galore on the old, on the uh, Ole Miss backup quarterback. That's a huge game for Ole Miss. It's probably, in most cases, not going to compete for a national championship. So... So getting to the Sugar Bowl is kind of the equivalent for Ole Miss's championship, so to speak. So how do you blame Corral for wanting to play in that game? You can't. Now, he luckily, it's not a serious injury, but to me, it's a case-by-case basis. If you're a team that gets to the Sun Bowl and you don't want to play, okay, I get that. But we talk about protecting the bowls. People are still going to watch the Rose Bowl. Because of what it is. The big bowls are fine. Like the Rose Bowl is going to be fine. The Sugar Bowl is going to be fine. The Cotton Bowl is going to be fine. Like those big bowls can survive player opt-outs because of what they are. I mean, obviously if ESPN and Matt Corral out of the Baylor Ole Miss game, they're not going to get as big a rating as they probably did New Year's Eve, New Year's Day night, for example. But the players should have more power. Because the coaches can up and go whenever they want. Players have the transfer portal. They have NIL. Like they're, it's great that they have that power in their hands. But now we rip players for not playing. And to me, again, it's a case by case basis. Not one side is completely right. Not one side is completely wrong. It's all about that particular player analyzing. Okay, what's my risk reward? If I'm a quarterback like Kenny Pickett, right? I know I'm a first round pick. I don't want to risk injury. I'm not going to play in the game. Perfectly fine. It ruins the matchup because I think people want to see Kenny Pickett against a, a not-so-good Michigan State secondary. But, look, we can't be selfish in that instance. And it is kind of selfish to say, yeah, play this game, entertain me. And I know bowl games are about entertainment. But in the end, the, in the end these players have dollars on the line. And until they're getting paid to play, you can't blame them for uh, sitting out and keeping their money protected. Because you're one hit away in football all the time and getting hurt. Sure, you're one hit away in the regular season from ending your chances of big money, but the Bulls are extra games, right? You have the case with the Gator Bowl where Rutgers gets in at 5-7 and seven because of COVID from A&M and their academic progress report, which is a good reward, and I'm not saying we take away all these bowl games. I think they're cool. Do we have too many bowls? Yeah, we probably do. But people enjoy watching them, so we keep the, the process the way it is. But to me, it's all about making sure the players have a say. Do Are there some players who maybe value the NFL more and treat college football like a minor league system where they're just doing it to get to the NFL? Sure. But there are players out there that still are, are diehards for their school and still want to win as much as they can and get that bowl title and, and 
do anything they can for their school. Can it hurt the Bulls? Sure. I think the big Bulls, though, will be fine in the end. It's really the, the uh, smaller Bulls that could get affected. If players, like, you, you pick a team because you want that star player in that bowl game, then they don't play. It's kind of the risk, though, you take when you pick these bowl teams, in a sense. Now, that if now if you opt out of the playoff, that's different. But the NFL is not going to look at you bad because you opted out of the Sugar Bowl or opted out of the Rose Bowl. They're not going to look at you differently. We've clearly seen that over the test of time. That hasn't been a big issue. As for my New Year's Six takeaways, a couple, never trust Notre Dame in a big game ever again. I love Marcus Williams. I think he's going to do a great job at Notre Dame. The problem, though, you had Notre Dame get up 28-7 to against Michigan State in the Fiesta Bowl and allowed an Oklahoma State offense that isn't the greatest offense in the world to rally back and win 37-35. You allowed Spencer Sanders to throw for four touchdowns, no interceptions, rush for over 120 yards. That was disappointing for Notre Dame. And next year they start their year at Ohio State against Jackson Smith and Jigba and C.J. Stroud and that Buckeyes offense. I can't trust Notre Dame. So every time Notre Dame is get, gets in these New Year's Six Bowls or gets in the playoff or gets in a big game against a, a school that people think they should beat and they don't win, you kind of still fighting that uphill battle if you're the Fighting Irish. Not that Marcus Freeman can't do a good job at Notre Dame, but that's a tough loss for him, and I think it's tougher than people think. Rose Bowl, Ohio State's got wide receivers like crazy. Marvin Harrison Jr., three touchdowns. You had um, Fleming had a decent game, five catches for 35 yards. Ibuka did a good job in the receiving game, three catches, 46 yards, and was good on return team. And Stroud was insane, 573 yards, six touchdowns, one interception. Now, Jackson Smith and Jigba did have 347 of those yards. And this is why right now I would have Jackson Smith and Jigba as a top Heisman candidate because for next year, People say a receiver can't win the award, but throw this out there. C.J. Stroud, like I said, those were 570, but if 350 are from one guy, who gets more credit, the quarterback or the wide receiver that's catching all those balls? Stroud's a great quarterback, but if Njigba has those kind of numbers next year, he's going to win the Heisman Trophy. I don't think he'll win it, but he definitely should be up there going into next year. The kid can catch anything that's thrown to him. But Ohio State's offense is going to be insane next year. Uh, even without Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. As for Utah, I was impressed. Um, they had a good first half, ran the ball well, dominated the Ohio State defensive line in the first half. But then Cam Rising gets hurt about nine minutes to go, and Utah's playing a quarterback in Bryson Barnes, who hadn't played a snap all season long. And he did throw a touchdown to tie in the fourth quarter. But what I'd rip Kyle Whittingham for is you had three timeouts defensively, didn't use any of them in the last two minutes. So it seemed like he was content at that point. Look, we got a backup quarterback. I'm not saying Utah tried didn't really give their foot up to win the game because they did, but why would Whittingham leave all three timeouts in their back in his back pocket? I'm still not sure about that. And then we talked about the Sugar Bowl, Baylor's defense, the big story, 21-7 over Ole Miss, uh, sacking Luke Altmaier. There was like eight, nine times, ugly performance. But again, without Corral, Baylor's uh, Ole Miss offense was limited, and Baylor. Did a good job on the ground with Abram Smith. 25 carries, 172 yards. Big moment for him. They talked about in the broadcast how he went from linebacker, from running back to linebacker, back to running back. Uh, good story. So props to Baylor. Dave Aranda, a great season, pulling off 12 wins.
So we'll wrap the show coming up next, and we'll do a little tennis. The big news this week involving Novak Djokovic um, down in Australia. You're listening to Kicking with Kira on Full Press Radio. We'll wrap up episode 125 after the break. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.